Hello, everyone, and welcome to Change by Youth, a podcast about youth empowerment and activism. I'm your co-host, Ruby, and I go by she, her pronouns. And I'm also your co-host, Soriana, and I go by she, her pronouns as well. As of 2021, we're both rising high school seniors in Massachusetts. This week on our second episode out of 14 this season, we are honored to have Dustin Liu, who was the ninth United States Youth Observer to the United Nations. Currently serving in the position is Cynthia Yue, who you can find on Instagram at US Youth Observer. Dustin also has a great podcast called Changemaker Compass, which you can stream on Spotify now. To provide some context on this episode, we mentioned an organization called Hobie, which is a youth leadership program and alumni association you can hear more about in episode one. Additionally, in this episode, we talk about the United Nations, which was, quote, founded in 1945 after the Second World War by 51 countries committed to maintaining international peace and security, developing friendly relations among nations, and promoting social progress, better living standards, and human rights, unquote. We also talk about the UN Sustainable Development Goals, or SDGs, as they are known, which are a, quote, blueprint to achieve a better and more sustainable future for all, unquote, and are, quote, intended to be achieved by the year 2030, unquote. The SDGs were announced in September 2015, which was the 70th anniversary of the United Nations. There are 17 SDGs in total. Examples include no poverty, zero hunger, quality education, climate action, and peace and justice. All of this information can be found on the UN's website at www.un.org, which will be linked in our description box if you want to check that out. All right, without further ado, we hope you enjoy this episode. Today, we have Dustin Liu on the podcast. So kind of like a little bit of a story here, but I'll make it brief is we're all from Hobie, all three of us, Ruby, me, and Dustin. And through Hobie, I actually, this was like last year after the Hobie seminar in August, I heard about a listening tour that Dustin was doing to hear about pressing issues for youth. So I decided to join because I wanted to kind of talk about like different issues like climate, for example, which I'm very passionate about. And so Dustin was there and it was a great listening tour. He like asked us some questions. And at the end of the listening tour, Dustin brought up an opportunity that was called Younga, which is like the youth takeover of the UN General Assembly. And I thought that sounded great and I wanted to join. And Dustin then selected me to be one of the 10 youth delegates. There were over like 300 people at Yunka though, which was great from all over the world. But then through there, that's kind of how we got to know Dustin and we contacted him about advice about Sioko and stuff like that. So it was really cool to talk to him. So Dustin, could you please introduce yourself? Sure, absolutely. Thanks for that uh, really generous introduction. My name is Dustin, currently serving as the ninth U.S. Youth Observer to the United Nations. I use he, his pronouns, calling in from New York. I'm just really excited to have this conversation about connecting young people to the work of the U.N. So getting right into it, we know you're a 2013 Hobie alumni. So our podcast is mostly for high schoolers as well as secondary education kids. We were wondering a bit about your involvement in service in high school. So what compelled you to start doing service and becoming a leader in your community growing up in Long Island, New York? Thanks for that question, Ruby. And it's something that I've been thinking a lot about. And I think it really comes down to having a superhero of a mother. I spent a lot of my childhood going with my mother to community-based organizations and, and really getting engaged in the community. I always like to say that growing up with my mother was the longest internship I ever had. Um, from a young age, I saw 
the impact that she had on our local community, specifically the ways in which she managed to build community across difference and, and really empower individuals to gain the skills that they needed to thrive. So I can think of two examples that are really salient that really transformed the way in which I saw an individual's ability to make a difference. Um, the first is that I used to accompany my mom to our local senior home and helped seniors and elders in our community learn English. and get coached on ways in which they can pass their citizenship exam. And at the time, I, I didn't really recognize the impact of that until one day I saw an 88-year-old grandma run into my mom's office, excitedly telling her that she was a U.S. citizen. And there are moments like that that made me realize the individual actions that we make really go a long way in terms of dramatically changing a family's dignity, dramatically changing an individual's dignity. And I think on top of that, you know, a second example that comes up is, is just getting involved and giving back to the community through beach cleanups, through a variety of different ways. And that often came in the form of our Chinese Cultural Academy, being part of an immigrant community, being part of a really tight-knit community. It became a way in which we came together. It became a way in which we celebrated. We would center service in a lot of our gatherings. And through those experiences, service became not just something that we did on the weekends, but really a mindset or, or a through line throughout my childhood and growing up. And, and so when I entered middle school, entered high school and had more agency to explore ways in which I could really develop those experiences and hone those experiences, it naturally led me into um, opportunities to participate in political organizing and really shaped the majority of my high school experience. That is incredible just hearing kind of a little bit how you got involved in service and like reflecting towards your own experiences. So while we were doing a little bit of research on you, we heard about different projects that you have worked on and we believe your SDG or sustainable development goal is education. So we'd like to know why education and why does that speak to you? That's a really interesting question because I think as I consider the SDGs, they are so interconnected and so indivisible. We can't talk about quality education without talking about health and well-being. So with that in mind, I think um, at its core, I'm really interested in human dignity, and I've seen the power of education to transform human dignity. I, I think about you know a question that my second grade teacher asked me when I was seven years old, and she asked, what if the answer to the world's problems were in the mind of a girl who didn't have access to education and didn't know that her voice mattered. And that question has really guided a lot of my leadership because I think at the end of the day, there is something beautiful that happens in the classroom. There's something wonderful that happens through formal education. There's something about gaining the skills of literacy, numeracy, to be able to make sense of the world that is critical for us to share our ideas. It's critical for us to have a belief that our ideas matter. And I think it's through the process of education, through the process of developing those skills, through the process of building the confidence that is so critical for young people to have, that we dramatically change our world. So going on a little bit to your role as the youth observer, we were just interested about the process for rising, like some seniors can apply for the youth observer since they are 18. So from your experience, what made you apply to be the youth observer to the United Nation? And what was the selection process like? The process happens every year. So I'll say that if anyone's interested in the position, feel free to reach out at any time. Happy to talk about my experience. But it really um, became an opportunity for me to build on the experiences that I found really magical. And I use magical really intentionally in that sentence because I, I have a deep desire to help young people see 
that the potential that they can make on the world. The, I, I have a real desire to help young people see their magic and really find their personal gifts and strengths and see how they connect to the SDGs. So this deep passion for helping young people see their fullest potential uh, really led me to apply to the position. So a little bit about the application process. It's a three or four round process, depending on the year. It starts with a national call of applications. Um, you apply um, in the spring. It then moves into, uh, you know, performance tasks. You film yourself talking about the SDGs, about something that you're passionate about. Uh, then it moves into interviews with people who are managing the program, with um, individuals at UNA USA, at the UN Foundation more generally. And those conversations are a really great way for you to share your model of change, uh, ways in which you want to engage with young people, what plans you have, and to really get down to you know the why behind why I pursued this position. Like I said, it built on a lot of work um, that I was already doing, connecting with young people, um, making sure that they were getting the resources that they needed to pursue their leadership ventures. But on top of that, I, I really came into the position hoping to reframe what youth leadership looked like. I think oftentimes we focus on this idolization of certain young people or idolization around certain ways of making change, whether it be a protest, whether it be collective action. But, but in actuality, I think youth leadership needs to be reconsidered. We really need to add more texture to what comes to mind when we say youth leader, because I think it's so critical for us to understand that all roles in social change are valid. And more particularly, we need to consider the fact that every single person, every single person, every single young person has something to contribute to this movement. So at the end of the day, you know, a lot of my term and a lot of my mentality coming into this role was how do we activate young people across all different change roles? How do we activate young people who may not be already predisposed to thinking as though they can make a difference on the SDGs? And what are some programmatic or more strategic changes we can make to make sure that they feel as though they're part of that conversation? So for those who kind of don't know, what have you done as the youth observer, especially considering the mission of kind of like speaking to youth, hearing from them about what the pressing issues are? I like to think about my role in three different buckets, and I think it really does highlight some of the work that I do. The first is to amplify youth leadership. So I do that through my own podcast. I do that through social media. I do that through bringing young people's stories to decision-making tables and really connecting them to, to help them uplift their narratives. I think in a lot of ways, we need to recognize that great work is happening all across the country already. We just need to pay attention to the power of young people, and we really need to highlight what happens when we center young voices in these conversations. The second area of my work is to activate young people. So that's through workshops, that's through school talks, that's through one-on-one -on -one conversations. So over the past few months, I've had, you know, the incredible opportunity to connect with thousands of young people. I've had the incredible opportunity to meet one-on-one -on -one with now nearly over a hundred young people, um, reaching a lot of folks through social media, reaching folks through Zoom, especially in this virtual setting. And having those coaching conversations to say, what do you need and how can I support you in getting the resources that you need to take your leadership to the next level? There's a last bucket that I think is really pervasive across all my work, which is providing a window to the United Nations. In a lot of ways, um, the UN can feel like an incredibly bureaucratic organization that's removed from our local communities. And through inviting people to events like Younger um, or inviting people to, uh, you know, UN meetings, events, you know, the UNA USA Global Engagement Summit is just an example of us to us having the opportunity to invite young people into conversation with uh, world leaders. Um, these are really special 
experiences that I hope offer a window to the United Nations. But on top of that, it's an incredible opportunity for us to really consider what happens when we start transforming people's understanding of what the United Nations is, what the sustainable development goals are, and ways in which they can get involved. So this window to the United Nations can look like inviting young people directly to the table, but it can also be in the form of blog posts or integrating that sort of a message into the workshops that I do and into the conversations that I have with young people all across the country. We know that Zoriana got in contact with you through the 30-day speaking tour, and we were wondering, how has the pandemic kind of caused like a little shift in your role as the youth observer, as well as how has that helped or hurt contacting more youth? I think that this is a really special moment for us to reimagine youth engagement at the UN in a lot of different ways. Um, I saw that at the General Assembly where because of the open access to the United Nations, uh, because everything was online, we saw more young people participate than ever before. And I don't know if that's a direct statistic, but at least in my eyes, we saw that, you know, this virtual moment allowed us to truly have a front row seat at the General Assembly. Everyone really had a front row seat at the General Assembly. So in that regard, I think we're seeing that a lot of different events and opportunities are being democratized. And the friction to get there, the flights, the travel, um, the money that it takes for lodging um, goes out the window in this virtual setting. And there are a lot of components of this that I really hope we retain moving forward. In terms of the virtual listening tour, you know, that was one of the most transformative experiences I had during my term so far, you know, having that hundred days to just go across the country, really engaging with nearly a hundred plus small groups was just transformative. And that wouldn't have been possible if we didn't have people predisposed to feeling comfortable engaging online. I think that it would have been much more difficult in a pre-COVID state to have so many Zoom calls and to have so much active participation. So I'm just feeling really lucky for us to leverage social media to leverage digital engagement and to leverage the tools that we have right now to reach as many young people as possible. I know that I've done more events, I've done more speaking engagements, and I've done more high-touch interactions with young people just because of our current virtual moment. So it's been really amazing that um, there's been a lot of virtual ways to still do things like we've spoken to other change makers who have been able to adapt their projects to the pandemic, kind of like a virtual format. So yeah, overall, since we know that your term is coming to an end, what has your work been like and what have you learned from your experiences overall? That's a really reflective question and I appreciate it. And, you know, it's really hard to distill this year in a single lesson, but I think there's a theme that I've been sitting with. And it's the fact that I've come to understand that the work of social change this entire year has been an act of science fiction. And I know that sounds a little bit strange, but I've been really delving into science fiction literature and visiting authors like Octavia E. Butler. And the texts that I've been reading have made me realize that as we consider the future, as we consider the achievement of the SDGs, we're talking inherently about a future that does not yet exist. And that in and of itself is science fiction. I'll also say that my term as Youth Observer has absolutely been an act of science fiction, right? A global pandemic where change making happens in Zoom, where I'm connecting with young people at the click of a button, where everyone has a front row seat at the General Assembly. I mean, that in and of itself is a science fiction novel. And I think what's been so critical for my term and so critical for me to take away is who better to be our science fiction authors, who better to engage in this work than young people who are bringing the creativity, the innovation, and the energy that we need in this moment. So if there's anything I'm taking away, it's social change is science fiction and young people are going to be the authors for the story that we're going to live. 
It's interesting to see your perspective on the world. It's kind of like very magical. And as your term is coming up, what was the transition between you and the former youth observer? And how do you hope the transition between you and the future youth observer to be like? I mean, the greatest thing about this community is that the youth observers are still all engaged in civic engagement. I mean, Jalen and I, who's the eighth U.S. Youth Observer to the United Nations, stay in touch frequently. We text and we just check in. And and I know that I'm building on the great work of my predecessors. So I feel incredibly supported by the previous youth observers. Uh, You know, they are my cheerleaders. They are my confidants. They are my support system. um, And I just hope to do the same for future youth observers as well. That is really great that kind of like the work just doesn't stop with a position that you have at the UN. You get to like keep connecting and like doing great work, which is awesome. And definitely what we want to encourage at CIOGO, like it's never too late to get started. Or like if you've already done something, you can definitely keep doing things, connecting with more people, establishing a network and just utilizing that to like always be involved in service. Just kind of like really going back to uh, Hobie because we're we, we are all from Hobie. Would you say like Hobie was kind of the beginning of everything or did it like kind of supplement your passion for service or we just both have been super involved with Hobie so it'd be kind of nice to hear your thoughts on how Hobie impacted you. Absolutely. Well, I love Hobie. I I really love Hobie and I think in a lot of ways Hobie gave me a community of social change. I think that it's so critical that we consider that the work of social change, the work of pushing against systemic biases, the work of really transforming and achieving the SDGs is difficult. And I think what Hobie gave me was a group of people who believed in the potential of those really lofty goals, believed in our ability to move towards them and gave me a support system to lean on. I still talk to my Hopi friends. Some of them I I consider one of my longest and deepest friendships. And I think at the end of the day, Hopi gave me an opportunity to consider what it means to act rather than think. I think Hopi gave me the opportunity to really exercise my change-making skills rather than simply thinking, hey, like that would be really cool to do or or that that would be, you know, in my in my control. What I did at Hobie was really actively participate in community engagement. What we did was project-based learning. What we did was build the tools and the language that we needed to engage others in our social change community. So Hobie was just a fundamental to my leadership journey. And, and I think it's really critical that we think about ways in which we can have that Hobie spirit, have that Hobie energy translate outwards to folks who may not have the opportunity to participate in Hobie as well. The community of Hobie and the community of service in Hobie has really helped us as well. And we were wondering if you have any advice for kids that are thinking about putting service projects or organizations into motion. Ruby, you know, the the best advice that, that I can give and the most common advice that I give is that, you know, we start by really examining ourselves. I think it's really important for us to consider that there are so many scripts for social change, so many ways in which you can make social change. If you Google ways in which you can get involved in the climate action movement, you're going to find 100,000 ways to get involved. Start by dropping into yourself. Start by really understanding the gifts and skills that you have, identifying that super tricky global challenge that you want to fix, and where those two things meet, you're going to find your pathway forward. I think it's really important that you consider the fact that there are so many different ways of making social change, but there is only one of you, and there's only one person on this planet that has your story, has your narrative, has your perspective, has your gifts, has your skills. And it's critical that you lean into those. So I always start this conversation by asking young people, when do you feel like you're flying? When do you feel like you're making magic? When do you feel as though you're really doing something that puts you in a flow state? 
How do you know? Well, you know, what do your friends tell you that you're really good at? Start there. Think about that super tricky global challenge, meet them, and you're going to create your own pathway forward. This is definitely great advice because sometimes you can feel, and we've talked about this on the podcast, the kind of intimidation factor of activism sometimes like, oh my God, there's so much to do and like the whole world, there's just so much going on. And how can I focus on one issue? How can I make an impact? Definitely like for Ruby and I, we've kind of like tried to focus in on our talent and like see how we can contribute. To wrap up, we'd like to ask, what are your future plans, especially like after your position as the US Youth Observer to the UN? So what do you kind of plan to do later on? You know, it's a really difficult question to answer because I think I'm at a crossroads. I'm, I'm graduating graduate school and, and I'm at a position where I'm really considering what that next step will be. But I think there are a few things that I'm certain about. I think regardless of what I do professionally, civic engagement is going to play a critical role in my life. I think I've I've seen it as a critical part of my purpose and I, I know how much community and how much life I get from doing this work. So staying engaged in the community will obviously be there. And I think a second piece, especially this role and the conversations that I've been able to have with young people is that I, I want to continue being an advocate for young people's voices to, to be centered in these important conversations. I want to continue bringing chairs to the table and inviting young people there. I want to continue challenging what we think about as we develop youth leaders and, and ways in which we provide leadership training to certain student populations. Regardless of what I do, I think those will all be important components in my mind. As I transition out of identifying as a young person, I think I'm, I'm entering my mid-20s and, and it's at a point where I, I no longer feel as though I can carry that label of being a young person. It's been really interesting for me to consider how I can be a youth ally. What would I have wanted as a young person, and particularly as I'm talking with young people, what they're craving for and really meeting those needs. So still up in the air, but certainly engaging with young people, being engaged in civic work is certainly going to be a component of that. Just our last question is like, how can youth get involved with the United Nations? What a great question. So many different ways. I think that if you look at the SDGs and you're pushing forward the SDGs, you are in and of itself playing the role of a youth observer. I like to say that, you know, it's it's silly that I'm the only youth observer to the United Nations for the United States. You know, we really need hundreds and thousands of young people engaged in this fight in order to achieve the SDGs. So one, get involved by thinking about how you can localize the SDGs. That's certainly a way in which you can get involved in the United Nations. Two, Participate in UNAUSA. It's a movement, grassroots movement of Americans advocating for the United Nations. And I think it's incredibly inspiring how they've built a portfolio of programs for young people. So check it out. That's UNAUSA.org. On top of that, reach out. Um, I'm at US Youth Observer on all social medias. You can also reach me at US Youth Observer at UNAUSA.org. And we'll get back to you as soon as we can. We want to make sure that you create your own path uh, for change making. We want to make sure that you have the resources you need. So please let us know how we can support you in that journey. And we would love to, as like later on, refer people from Sioko to UNAUSA because we're both involved in that. We just attended the Global Engagement Summit. And we also think it's incredibly important for youth to get involved in the United Nations. So thank you for sharing that. And just thank you for coming on again. Uh, it was great to hear from you and talk to you. Awesome. Thanks for having me. Great to be here. Thank you all for listening. To hear more from us at Sioko, you can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at C-Y-O-C-O underscore official. And don't forget to tune in next week for episode three of Change by Youth.
Our next guest, who is also the first youth changemaker to be featured on the podcast, was so amazing to talk to, especially because of the great insights they shared with us. Plus, we felt like we had a lot in common with them, and getting to hear from someone who went through some of the same things that we did was so much fun. So yeah, make sure to listen to our conversation. We'll see you all in the next one. And create your own change.